They were high school sweethearts that got married and had a kid. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of D.C. they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunigs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to our low-effort, low-quality podcast. It is just me today, Matt Brunig, your host. Uh, Liz is uh, on vacation, uh, I suppose, Uh, but we'll be back uh, later this week. I believe we're going to record another episode on Friday with the two of us, Um, but for now, I'm just going to do a little solo, a little solo stuff, so if you're into that thing, you're in for a treat. If you're not, uh, you know, you're not in for a treat, I guess, is what follows from that. Um, so for the solo episode, I want to cover two subjects, maybe only one, depending on how uh, carried away I get. Um, <clears throat> but the first subject is going to be the welfare state. Now, of course, I've written a lot about the welfare state over the last, geez, what is it now? Eight years, nine years. I don't know how long I've been doing this. Um, but I've never sort of podcasted about it abstractly. And some people, you know, they love the podcast method for hearing about things. And, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's interesting for me as well to kind of rehash it and go through it and see where I go when I have to kind of talk about it off the cuff, uh, which is a little bit different from composing a piece. Um, and then the second thing is MMT, Modern Monetary Theory. That's been hot in the news lately. Uh, I've written some things on that, and I thought, you know, again, might be a little bit repetitive of stuff I've written, but some new stuff communicated in a different way, interesting to the folks who like to uh, hear this sort of stuff on their commutes instead of read my 1,500-word blog posts. So let's get at it. The welfare state, what is it, what it's about, that sort of thing. Um, And before I get into what the welfare state is about, I have a sort of general theory of the welfare state, or at least a general theory of why everyone, or I should say, a general theory of how everyone has the welfare state wrong, they don't understand what it's about, at least in the United States, and that this uh, leads to widespread uh, political dysfunction, all sorts of really bad arguments, all sorts of really bad positions, extreme confusion, etc. I I understand the welfare state, of course, I understand all things uh, welfare, um, but most people do not. And most of the people who write and, and who uh, who do punditry on it, I would say, don't really get it. And the main thing that they don't get, or I would say the, the fundamental error about the welfare state in the United States, is that people believe that the purpose of the welfare state is to redistribute from the rich to the poor. That's the belief. That is sort of the widespread thing. Oh, here's what the welfare state is for. You've got rich people and they've got too much money and we, we're going to grab it and then we'll give it to poor people. And that that's what it's about. It's about rich to poor redistribution. And that belief 
sort of leads to dysfunction all across the political spectrum. So conservatives, because they understand the welfare state that way, and everyone does, but the way that they respond to that understanding is they all say, the welfare state is theft. Um, it's, uh, you know, there's the, the makers, the rich and successful and the winners, and then we're taking it and we're giving it to the losers and the failures and the takers and, and that sort of thing, right? They, they view, they'll talk about, uh, the welfare state as being about envy, <coughs> that kind of thing, right? So they really lean into the notion of that. This is uh, rich to poor redistribution and all of the, you know, dysfunctions that <coughs> go along with that for centrists who have uh, really imbibed this understanding of the welfare state, they get really into means testing. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. If you believe the whole point of the welfare state is to redistribute from the rich to the poor, you go, well, shouldn't the benefits, shouldn't the payments only be for poor people? I mean, if we're trying to redistribute from the rich to the poor, then why would we give money to affluent people why would we you know pay to have uh, donald trump's kid go to college or whatever right um that's that's sort of where they wind up and again you could see a straight logical line from well we're trying to redistribute from the rich to the poor so we should only give to the poor right that's how that goes for leftists not all leftists but there's a sort of line of thought on the left i feel like is a is a bit of a kind of radical posturing perhaps to some degree but what they'll say is uh the welfare state is a band-aid for the real problem which is that the rich defined as you know the capitalist class or high-paid workers you know executives etc uh it's it's that they get so much in the first place right they they're stealing from everyone you know at, at, at a first gloss and then we come in and we take a little bit of it and we give it back Right. So they, they steal from you in one hand and then through the welfare state, we tax and transfer some of it back to the victims of the theft. Right. The exploited, the working class, etc. So that so so <clears throat> so they view the welfare state as, as avoiding the fundamental, you know, confrontation that we need to have, which is to stop the rich from being so rich in the first place. Right. What we need. And this is a word that actually I would say more centrist uses. But but that this idea kind of leans into is they'll say we need essentially pre-distribution, right? Stop redistributing after the fact. We need to cut cut off the rich in the first place and deliver to the poor in the first place. Higher wages, lower profits. Um, higher wages, lower CEO pay, right? And then and then we won't need the welfare state, right? Um, you know, we, we, we don't need to redistribute to the rich from the rich to the poor if we don't have rich and, and poor in the first place, you know, in the way that the sort of, uh, you know, basic economy works. Um, I don't know if basic economy is the right word, but, you know, the, the, the first instance of distribution, the, the market distribution, if we could just get the market distribution flattened out, uh, then we wouldn't have this issue. Um, so that's where everyone goes with that. You know, and you get it, right? If we're redistributing from the rich to the poor, those are the, the sort of set of perspectives you might have about that kind of policy, at least if you're trying to be critical, right? Obviously, some people are like, oh, that's good. Thumbs up. Let's do it. But I mean, among people who want to be critical, that's uh, where that tends to go. Um, but this is uh, this understanding of the welfare state is a mistake. The purpose of the welfare state, the fundamental purpose of the welfare state is not to redistribute from the rich to the poor, 
that's not what we're, uh, those aren't the relevant groups that you need to be thinking about. The real purpose of the welfare state is to redistribute to non-workers. That's really the whole game. We're trying to get money to people who don't work. And I think people shy away from this uh, a little bit because uh, that seems to be a quite an offensive <laughs> thing <laughs> to throw out. People are like, what? Money to people who don't work? No, what? They, they should work. What, we, we, we should get them working. What? You, you should, if you don't work, you shouldn't get paid, etc. Right? Uh, no money for lazy people. You know, like that, that's where people go with it. And, and even the left, you see this to some degree because uh, people will be like, uh, well, um, we, we, we should just get people who aren't working, get them into work, get them jobs. Right? You see this to some degree among people who advocate for job guarantee. They'll, they've, they've put out papers uh, uh, like uh, Randy Ray or Stephanie Kelton put out a paper in, I think it was 2010 or maybe 2012, saying the war on poverty was a failure because all it tried to do was transfer money to the poor. But don't you know, we got to get them working. They, they, they shouldn't you know, be in the, in the position they are in the first place uh, to where they're having to rely on the welfare state. We could just get them, get them in jobs, and that's really what's going to solve the poverty, right? So this is a way a lot of people go, um, or I should say, this is perhaps a, a, a way of framing the welfare state that is very uncomfortable for a lot of people, which maybe explains why uh, people don't uh, tend to, to go with that framing. But it is the correct framing. The point of the welfare state is to give money to people who do not work. And to understand why you need to do that, it is useful to think about the way capitalism distributes income. Now, the primary socialist complaint over the years has been that, you know, in a capitalist system, you have a, a capitalist class, which tends to be a rather small percentage of the people. They own almost everything. The U.S., the top 10% owns 77% of the wealth. The top 1% owns, I think, something like 40%. You know, the bottom half owns nothing, right? And, and, and that group, the capitalist class, they get a big chunk of, what's, of what we produce, um, even though they don't necessarily do anything for it. They just, they just own things and, you know, sort of, sort of free money for them. Um, and so that has sort of been, you know, the socialist struggle. Uh, well, we need to expropriate the capitalist class and give to the workers and so on, right? And <clears throat> that's, you know, all well and good. I'm, I'm for that. But that sort of treatment of the economy, uh, which I think uh, a lot of people share in, understands uh, basically capitalism or the economy generally as consisting of two kinds of people uh, who somewhat overlap depending on, you know, if you're a capitalist who also works. Um, it, it, it conceives of the economy as having workers and having capitalists, right? People who work and produce and people who own and receive some of the product of the economy, even though they may not themselves work right? It, it, it conceives of the economy as consisting of those two groups of people. But there's also a third group of people, and that's people who don't work and don't own, or maybe own just a little bit, right? So we, so we could think of workers, capitalists, and non-workers. That third group of people, non-workers. A capitalist economy, and when I say non-workers, I'm also assuming that they don't own very much, because if they owned a bunch, we'd put them in the capitalist bucket, right? So workers, capitalists, non-workers. Non-workers don't get anything under capitalism, right? Because the way capitalism works is it pays income 
to the factors of production. What are the factors of production? You got land, labor, and capital. Sometimes land and capital are joined together and just called capital. Um, so, I, you know, I don't mean to offend uh, Georgists or folks like that, but uh, you know, you've got you've got the land and the structures and the equipment and the assets, and you've got that that stuff, uh, and and money is paid to those things. Actually, not to those things, but to the people who own them. Very crucial uh, distinction. Uh, and then, and then you've got uh, labor, right? Working, right? That that's how capitalism pays out the entire what they call factorial distribution of income. It either goes to workers or it goes to capital. It either flows to labor or it flows to capital. That's you know, and we we fight over that pie, and you know, oh, maybe labor should get more, maybe capital should get more, etc. But that's the only thing capital is interested in compensating. It has no interest and no real ability to get money to people who don't work, to non-workers, that third class. It has no ability to do that. And so, if you want that group of people not to die, right, or or not to be poor, or you know, if you want to not have a huge underclass or lots of inequality or whatever you got to get income to those non-workers that third class has to get income and that's what the welfare state is for right so so we can quibble all day about maybe the workers should own all the capital and all this sort of stuff but even if you solved all that you still got this third group of people non-workers who need income and that's what the welfare state is for is to get them income right now, you might say, well, okay, non-workers, well, they need to work, but here's where the rub comes in. Almost all the non-workers in the economy, about half the people in the, in the U.S. do not work. Half of the population, we have, what, 320 million people, about half of them don't work, right? They're not engaged in labor, right? So who are those people, right? And the answer is they basically consist of six groups of people, right? There are six groups of people who don't work in an economy. You've got children right? Don't work. That's why I put out the family fun pack. The whole idea of the family fun pack is to get resources to children. They don't work. So you got to get the money somehow. All right. So why not the welfare state? Right. So children, that's, that's group one, uh, among the non-workers. Second, elderly people, right? Retired people. You got to get them something. We have social security, old age pension for them. And then we've got disabled people, right? People who have a work limiting disability, um, they may not be, they, they could also be children or elderly, but I'm talking about people who aren't children or elderly, but who are, you know, working age disabled people. They got to get money. How are they going to get money? The welfare state, right? The fourth group, students, right? People, you know, usually younger adults, they're still in college. Uh, some people sometimes will say, oh, no, they're working, they're in school. But I mean, I, I don't know, like a lot of people who don't work are working as well, like stay-at-home parents and that sort of thing. But point being, they're not engaged in market labor, right? I don't know if going to class is a job, but, you know, whatever you, however you want to describe it, they're not engaged in market labor. They're not going to receive any income for what they do from the capitalist system. So you got to find a way to cover them, right? And so... You know, right now we use loans. You could also pay living grants, of course, tuition subsidies. There's a whole set of student benefits that usually exist in a welfare state. Um, it's to take care of them, right? So that's sort of group number four. Group number five is unemployed people, 
right? These are people, ah, I just lost my job, or maybe I'm just getting into the labor market. Maybe I just graduated high school. I've never had a job before. I'm going out looking, right? Those are unemployed people. Those folks also need money, right? Unemployment benefits, that's, that's what that's for. And then the final group of people are caregivers, right? People who are, maybe they have young children in the home, right? They're taking care of kids in the home, those are caregivers. They are working, right, in, a, in the same sense that maybe some of the other people work, but they're not engaged in market labor. And they're not going to get paid for what they're doing, right? And then you, it's not just people who might be taking time off to care for kids in the home. They might also be caring for a disabled relative. They might be caring for an elderly relative, right? But they're doing all this, you know, essentially for free. They don't get paid for it uh, because, you know, capitalism only pays out to, you know, people who are engaged in this sort of market exchange and caring for uh, family members uh, uh, in a decommodified way will not, will not get you any cash. Um, but for those people, of course... The welfare state could give them cash. And I know, we again, we've talked about the family fund pack. The, uh, a big part of the family fund pack is getting money to people who are caring for kids, whether that's because they're taking time off uh, because they've just had a kid, a.k.a. parental leave, or if they're doing child care in the home, also get payment, a.k.a. the home child care benefit, right? So the, the family fund pack takes takes care of some of the care, the carer issues, the, the getting money to caregivers, Um but yeah, so I mean, if you kind of take a step back again, we got six populations, children, elderly, disabled, students, unemployed, and caregivers. Those six groups of people, they make up, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I've, re- I've written some pieces about this in the past. Like, honestly, guys, like 90% or more of, of people who aren't working fall into one of those six categories. The other 10%, you know, you have some residual group of people you have some people who aren't elderly but who are nonetheless retired like maybe they retired at age 55 or something like that that's a that's a big chunk uh, and then and then you know you have some others who who the hell knows i don't know they just recorded as other in the current population survey so i don't know i don't know what they're up to um but but overwhelmingly the vast majority of non-workers fall into one of those six categories and so the welfare state is fundamentally about supporting all those people Right. And so when people have these debates about like, well, should we means test this? Aren't people this and that? They're missing the boat. Right. Because we're trying to support all of them. It's trying to support all the kids. Right. We're trying to support all the disabled people. We're trying to support all the elderly people. We're trying to support all the students. Uh, we're trying to support all the unemployed people, all the carers. We're trying to get, get, get sources of income for all, all those folks. That's what the sort of social democratic universal welfare state is all about right and if you understand it that way things start clicking in very clean ways right instead of the welfare state looking like this sort of uh, mess of like what the hell are we doing here we have some programs that phase out some that phase in means te- and so you're like no 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 it's it's actually very beautiful it's a very beautiful clean edifice Right, we have a program for each of these six groups of people. We might have multiple, depend you know, depending on the situation, and that's their income. Just as a worker gets a wage, and a capitalist gets their dividend, the non-worker gets a welfare income, whether that's an old age pension, a disability pension, a child allowance, 
an unemployment check. They get their income, right? We get we everyone gets an income. You get an income. You get an income. You get oh, you're a student. All right, here you go. Oh, you uh, you you take a time off because you, you just had a kid. All right, here's money for you. Oh, you're uh, uh, you retired. All right, here's some money for for you. Right, everyone gets an income. Whether you're a wage worker or, or, or an owner or, or you're this third group of people. Now, of course, uh, we've had this discussion before. Uh, the owners, I don't understand why they get an income for, for what, what they do or more accurately don't do. Um, but, you know, that's uh, for another episode. And so when you understand it this way, right, we could kind of go back and we could, you could kind of clear up a lot of, I think, to some degree... Uh, the confusions and the weird rhetoric that, uh, uh, you know, surrounds the welfare state, right? The conservative notion that, oh, this is theft. You're taking from the rich and giving to the poor. It's like, no, 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 right? I'm, 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 I'm resolving the fact that the economy has no way of getting resources to people who don't work, right? Like, if you, I mean, you could starve them to death, I guess. It's half the population, including all the children. Um, but, like, if you want to have any any kind of equal society in which you know uh, people who have disabilities or people who've lost their job can live decent, stable lives and dignity, et cetera, et cetera, the welfare state's the only uh, you know proven way to really do that, right? Certainly, in, in industrial or post-industrial capitalism, the only societies that have found ways to give uh, those folks good lives uh, have done so through welfare states. Right for centers who are like, oh, we need some means test. We need to means test. We need to means test. No bullshit. You don't need to means test, right? I don't. I don't care what you know a disabled person might have in the bank, or maybe they have a spouse who makes good money. I don't give a shit, right? It's not about that. It's about supporting them. They're disabled. They deserve an income just like everyone else, regardless of how rich or poor they might be. And of course, if they are rich, they're going to pay higher tax, and so we'll take care of it there. You know. And the same thing for children, right? And this is, again, I will go into the family fun pack here, but the idea um, of means testing children's benefits is, you know, based on this rich to poor logic. In fact, uh, one of the people who wrote a criticism of the family fun pack was like, oh, if we're trying to get benefits to the neediest, why are we giving a child allowance or free childcare to people who are affluent and that sort of thing? This is actually a conservative who wrote this. And what he misses and what everyone misses about the uh, welfare state, again, is the point is not redistributing from rich to poor. The point is redistributing from workers and capitalists to people who don't work. That's the point of it. And so that's why we're doing that, because we're trying to get resources to the kids. And what's important, especially in the context of, and you can see this really clearly with children, though it's true of all six populations, is we're not only trying to even out the distribution between sort of poor families and rich families. I mean, we, it does have that effect, even though you're not shooting at it, right? The welfare state just does have that effect. Even if you have universal social democratic benefits, it nevertheless does involve a lot of net redistribution from rich to poor. Um, but that's not the only thing we're trying to do. We're also trying to even out what is sometimes called horizontal inequality, right? So you have vertical inequality, which is like rich to poor, right? Like, oh, we, you've got the retail workers on the bottom and then you've got the CEO at the top, right? And that's sort of vertical inequality. And, you know, one thing we're trying to do uh, or one thing we happen to do with the welfare state is we happen to shrink the differences between those 
uh, groups of people. So we, we reduce vertical inequality. Horizontal inequality is when you have two people who are otherwise similar, um, but because they maybe they have a disabled relative or something like that, their standards of living are way different. So you might have someone who's like, oh, you've got a retail worker and a retail worker, and but the one retail worker has three kids and the one has zero, right? We're not trying, we're trying to level out. One of the things we're trying to do is level out the differences between those two groups. But then that's also true for the CEO or the high pay lawyer, Right? You might be like, oh, a high-paid lawyer has $150,000 a year. Why do we need to give them welfare benefits for their kids? And it's like, well, because <laughs> if that high-paid lawyer has a, is making one hundred fifty grand a year and they have three kids, and then there's another high-paid lawyer who's the same as them, but they have zero kids, they're living very different lives. right? And so if we want real equality throughout the whole sort of social stratification system, then we want to make sure that the lawyer with three kids has the same kind of life as a lawyer with zero kids. Or the lawyer who's living with a disabled relative has the same kind of life as a lawyer who's not living with a disabled relative. Right? We're trying to level out horizontal equality or inequality just as we're trying to level out vertical inequality. And so the welfare state, or I should say a universal social democratic welfare state, does that very, very well. Right? Because think about it. Any given person, they kind of live in a family or household unit, right? They live in a unit with other people and they kind of share resources within that unit. And the idea is of the, of the social democratic welfare state is to say each one of those units, every person in that unit should have an income specific to them, right? So that no matter what kind of unit you find yourself in, you're basically covered, and you're going to be, you know, relatively equal, right? So you might find yourself in a unit where you've got two kids and a disabled uncle, and you're sort of trying to make it all work. You're the only one who maybe has a job, right? Or you might find your one, yourself in another one where you have two elderly parents that you're, you're taking care of and a college kid, right? You can find yourself in all sorts of mixtures, all different little units, little pods that are sort of sharing resources with one another. And the idea of the welfare state is to say, we're going to make sure that those pods are level so that if you're someone who is, you could be double income, no kids, family with two working age adults, like you know, that's one kind of family, one little resource pod you could be in, or you could be in this pod where you're a single mother with three kids, but we're going we're gonna to level all that out, Right? There, the, 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 because all three kids will have their incomes as well. Each one of them will have a child allowance, right? You throw in a disabled uncle, that guy's got a disability pension, right? So you can mix and match people however you want, right? It doesn't have to be, you have to do this real strategic thing where you're like, man, okay, we need to make sure we have enough workers for enough dependents, right? Oh, we can't take in, uh, we can't take in uh, mom because uh, we, we're not bringing in enough income. And, to, and instead of having to sort of micromanage how you arrange your familial relations, how you arrange your living uh, situations and that sort of thing, um, the idea is that no matter what living situation you find yourself in, the social democratic welfare state's got you covered because it's taking, it's giving an income specific to each kind of individual in society, right? So hopefully I didn't sort of uh, go on too long with that point, but I think it's very, very key because you kind of see the beauty of it when you think about it 
when you think about it that way, as opposed to just this sort of weird, kludgy way to move income from the top to the bottom, right? It does do that, but that's really not what it's aiming at, um, fundamentally. So I feel like if we could get that across a little bit better, it, it, the, the, the idea of the social democratic welfare, welfare state would click so much better, right? And, and all these centrists who complain about, oh, this is, you know, you're wasting money by not means testing. You could, just, you could just slap them off and be like, you're a moron. You don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> right? Um, and, and then, of course, to some degree, you have this sort of radical leftists, you know, who are, oh, you, you, this is a band-aid. It's like, no, you're wrong, dude. Like, you got to get income to people who don't work. Like, you just do. It's, it's not a... This is not some Band-Aid on, uh, you know, uh, steal from one hand and, you know, pay taxes on the other. That's really not not what it's about. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's the welfare state and about 30 minutes in. So I guess we could switch to the uh, to the next topic, which is MMT. But before that, I want to read Jared's Corner. And we did Jared's Corner for the first time last episode. So hopefully uh, you, you guys heard that. If you didn't, Jared, uh, Jared's Corner is, is constructed by a gentleman named Jared Merrick. Uh, he lives in Kentucky. Uh, he loves the takes. He's all over the takes all the time. Um, just, I mean, unbelievable. He's banned from Twitter, unfortunately. And so instead of uh, tweeting anymore, he just emails me everything. He, ta- like, he emails me his tweets basically. And it's wonderful. It's one of the, it's the best usage of my inbox anyone um, has. Um, But a long time ago, I asked him to give me little snippets, like longer sort of paragraphs of his thoughts. And and I used to include them in a newsletter. And now I've asked him to do the same thing for inclusion in the podcast. So here is uh, his Jared's Corner. The title of this Jared's Corner is Daily Exercise Running from the Devil. That's the title. Daily Exercise Running from the Devil. All right, get ready. Why is it the author wishes to make recreational cocaine legalization a signature policy to fix deforestation plus diabetes plus immigration plus mass incarceration plus productivity deceleration? Intensify, intensify, intensify. Trudeau plus Christia Freeland ought to ought to fix their problems via livable UBI now. Cow hashtag chemical Assad. Move the Alawites to the Northwest. Let Pompeo underscore Bolton underscore Haspel take down Damascus Mecca Mafia ASAP. Hemp, hemp, hemp. Vocalize flight shaming. Vocalize flight shaming. Vocalize flight shaming. Aggressive air travel shaming's good. Stupid idiot Gen X centrist flying to the same place to see the same people to eat the same meal every November plus December? Do academic conferences on Twitter plus YouTube. Do business meetings on Twitter plus Skype. DJT won the shutdown, literally. Nashville's Jim Sewer Cooper must be taken down. Stop pissing me all the way the fuck off. IndieWire's top 100 films listed list directed by women gets pretty thin no duras no von trotta no miranda july no josephine decker no the love witch works and nights and days contained 175 films spike lee got ridiculed for his nyu syllabus which consisted of 87 titles with zero by women the corner list was limited to one film per director 
Works and Nights and Days was pinned pre-Robert Kraft arrests. Cancel Come Town. Sports writers are trash. Netroots Nation blocked UBI activists from setting up booths slash presentations every year until last year. But why? Perhaps Yang's a better general candidate than hashtag Phil the Burn. Best Living American Actor Filmography. Keitel, then De Niro, then McConaughey, then DiCaprio, then Pitt. Best Living French Actor Filmography. Jean-Pierre Lude, then Isabel Hubert, then Catherine Deneuve, then M- Michelle Piccoli, then Gerard Depardieu. So there you have it. That's Jared's Corner. A lot of insight there. A lot of insight. Uh, you might need to replay it, unpack it. Uh, it's, it's a sort of got a kind of a horoscope type quality to it. Um, make of it what you will. Anyways, moving on to the uh, modern monetary theory. Um, so there, there were a lot of writings about this lately. Doug Henwood had a piece in Jacobin Magazine. I had a couple pieces at People's Policy Project. Uh, there have been pieces written in the past you know, few months from Max Sawicki, from J.W. Mason. Larry Summers had something in the Washington Post. Paul Krugman's been writing about it at the New York Times. You know, it's a sort of, there's a sort of little publishing uh, blip, I guess, if you will, about it. Um, and, you know, I would say 95% of the people who are being exposed to this stuff uh, seem uh, to be just like, I have fucking no idea what this is or what anyone's talking about. Um, and I can appreciate that because, uh, frankly, uh, you know, it, it, even as someone who who knows a lot about this general subject area, uh, figuring out what the hell people were even talking about took me took me a while. Um, when I first heard about it, like back in 2013, um, so I could appreciate that. But I figure, you know, maybe there are some people who are like, "What the fuck's going on?" Who nonetheless, um might be interested in uh, me trying to sort of break it down a little bit. So I try to do that here. Um, but for starters, right? So what, what, what are we doing with modern monetary theory? Modern monetary theory, I mean, what, what is it defined by? Like if you just say, what is it? What's the theory? Like, can you, can you point it to me? Like, like you could point to me, oh, well, Keynesianism is, and you can kind of point to me like a number of papers, a number of concepts, you know, uh, monetarism is, you know, oh, well, here's this, you know, Milton Friedman, et cetera. Like, like there's sort of, you know, there are sort of concrete animating ideas. There are research agendas. There's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you think about, what was it, the like October school or, or whatever, right? Like there are all these sort of, I don't know, like theoretical developments that occur uh, in different uh, areas of study, and and you know, ideally, the, these these theoretical developments they have a life of their own, right? They're you know the the nature of academics and intellectualism and so on is you know we're 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 reasoning people, and I can put down an idea, and anyone else can pick it up and run with it or modify it or whatever. Um, MMT, I would say, as a general matter, as much. Uh, it's very different from this. Um, if you were to say, what is it? And you were to actually try to descriptively answer like what it is, like where is it? Like wh- how, how do I know what it is? The, <laughs> the answer to that question would be, uh, well, there are like 10 people uh, in the US and I guess like a couple in the UK and Australia. And MMT just is 
like the shit that they say like that that like that just is what it is like and and they don't always say the same things right so like the guy in australia bill mitchell he says like shit that people in the u.s seem to not like um and then like warren mosler who is supposed to have been like the founder of mmt uh he says shit that then gets critiqued by other mmt or other like prominent mmt'ers in in the u.s and so you're like what is this then like uh, you know you you guys all believe the same thing yet you you all say different things like uh, so I, I don't know what it i mean sometimes people call it a brand it's a sort of a brand i guess i guess you would say it's a it's a school of thought in a in the literal sense and in the, in the in the same sense that like uh you know that like uh adorno and horkheimer were in the the frankfurt school and you're like, well, what are these people? Well, I don't know. They're, they're just sort of a group of people. They associate and they say shit uh, that gets lumped together. Like, like that, I think, is, a, is the most accurate description of what it is. Sometimes people will, will take that uh, 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 understanding of it and say, oh, well, this is, is sort of like a cult, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> you, know, like, you know what MMT is by uh, uh, pleading to dear leader to tell you what it is. You can't sort of uh, work it out on your own. Um, but yeah, I would say that is... Uh, probably the best way to describe what it is but uh, obviously it's not good for for podcasting uh and trying to like talk through the issues um but if we put a, put aside that for a second right what are the sort of fundamental things that a lot of them talk about and i would say the fundamental thing about mmt the thing where you're like oh here here they all agree and here here's sort of i guess the jumping off point of all of it is uh, a kind of a tedious uh, sort of bullshit, I don't know, exercise, it seems like to me, is what they'll do is they'll go, um, spending, when the government spends money, it actually just creates that money and then spends it, right? So so you guys, uh, you know, uh, simple brain out there, you guys are like, uh, well, the government, to spend money, it has to tax or it has to borrow. And MMTers not only... Uh, say no it doesn't but also say no it never no taxes and, and borrowing there that's not even any of that has anything to do with spending spending is always sometimes they'll say quote-unquote self-financed spending is always that the government creates money and spend it the taxing borrowing that's never used to fund spending you're just wrong you're just wrong and the reason why i call this tedious is one uh it's completely uh, not new to say that the government can uh, create money and then spend it. In fact, there is a word for that, uh, which is called seniorage. This is a very old word. <laughs> it's been used, I mean, as far as I can tell, for hundreds of years. Uh, but, but like the basic idea of seniorage is, you know, the government creates money. It's the currency issuer. So the government can create money and then spend it. And then the sort of uh, purchasing power it gets from doing that, the, the amount of that is called seniorage. Right? Pretty simple. And what I guess is a little bit weird is they they don't use the word seniorage very much. And I guess I find that strange because I feel like if you, if you used it, a lot of people who, I don't know, follow this stuff would understand it really well. And um, I, I also kind of sort of conspiratorially think that's the reason it's not used. Um, uh, but yeah, but like that's, that's the basic idea is like t taxes 
and borrowing don't fund spending. Rather, all spending is seniorage. Right? All spend funding is seniorage. And that's like, uh, you know, I don't know. Okay, I guess you could see it that way if you want. But the next question is, okay, uh, well, if all taxes are seniorage, what, what does that mean? Are you saying the government can just can just print money and just spend like we could just eliminate taxes and borrow and we wouldn't need to have any of that we could just print money and spend it i mean if it's all self-financing and if all it's all funded by seniorage then what, what do we need taxes and borrow i mean what are we doing any of that for just print it and go we would we could all taxes are zero percent now right um but then when you push them on that point right and you go wait you know they go, oh, well, not quite, not quite. You can't just, yeah, you can't um, spend, the U.S. spends 38% of the government and the U.S. spends 38% of GDP. You can't just, uh, turns out, print 38% of GDP worth of money and spend it into the economy. That that, that wouldn't work very well. Uh, and you say, well, why why wouldn't it work very well? What's What would be the issue there? Oh, uh, well, you know, we cause inflation. We cause pretty pretty severe inflation. Um, <laughs> oh my, oh my. So, so we do need taxes and they go, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. we need taxes. Yes. But it's to cut inflation. It's to cut. That's, we don't, we're not using the taxes to fund spending. Like I told you just before, all the spending is seniorage. Seniorage funds all the spending. Money creation, AKA seniorage. That's the thing that funds all the spending. The taxes are just to offset the inflation of the spending. And you're like, oh my God, okay, so it seems like we've really come, we've come full circle here, haven't we? <laughs> Taxes don't fund spending, um, seniorage does, but seniorage causes inflation, which we need to use taxes to offset. Ta- taxes don't fund spending, but it turns out they're needed for spending. Unless, of course, the economy is operating under capacity and then you have more room to do fiscal monetary stimulus, blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows basic Keynesian insight there. Um, like, that, that's like most of it. And, you know, I wrote a piece about this and I was like, this is like, what the fuck are we doing like, with this? Like, honest to God, what seems to be happening here is they're trying to trick people by using this idiosyncratic way of describing government spending as saying it's all seniorage, it's all seniorage, it's all seniorage, and then sort of being tricky about how they talk about it. And so they so so just saying taxes don't fund spending and just kind of leaving it out there without explaining what I just explained here about, oh, well, yeah, that's seniorage, but you need taxes to offset the inflation of seniorage, et cetera, without doing that part. Just being like taxes don't fund spending and just kind of, you know, like like a magician just sort of like disappearing. And then and then that causes a lot of people to go, oh, they're saying we could like like, you know, have Nordic style welfare state without higher taxes. That that must be what they're saying. If taxes don't fund spending and all spending is self-finance, et cetera, then that must be what they're saying. Uh, and, and, and frankly, they seem to lean into that misunderstanding and they, they seem to tolerate and, and, and almost, uh, sort of, uh, uh, try to fan the flames of that understanding, um, for, I don't know, what seemed to me I, to be sort of weird, I don't know, like sort of cynical political reasons, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the thing that's weird to me about it is, okay, may, maybe you can get some traction by tricking some people with these sort of word games about seniorage versus taxes and so on. But like, 
when the rubber hits the road, you you could have told them a hundred million times that taxes don't fund spending and we can just print money and so on. But when the rubber hits the road and we do indeed have to raise tax, I, you will have spent the last you know five years rather than convincing people that taxes are good and you should be happy to pay them because it really you know you get what you pay for and you know you're going to get free health care and free child care and and all these good goodies uh you've instead uh, sold them on this sort of bullshit thing and then when the time comes they're gonna feel like you've lied to them and you may not be successful um because you may not be able to get the the taxes uh that you need to to make it happen um so that was one of my takes but more generally, I think uh, an easier way to think about this, an easier way to talk about MMT and to talk about this whole area that doesn't require you to even think about the concept of seniorage or inflation or, you know, how does the Fed work? How does the Treasury work? How, do, uh, how does the automated clearinghouse work? Or like all this sort of weird nitty gritty like uh, electronic transfer shit is to just take all that out of your head for a second, right? Stop thinking about money. Stop thinking about treasury bonds. Stop thinking about tax rates. Just ignore all of that, right? And just think about real resources, right? Money money is a tool of circulation. It's a tool of... of of coordination it's a tool of helping us plan and and allocate things and and it's actually a very effective tool um it seems to me like it seems to do a lot of really good things um as a sort of unit of account and unit of value and that sort of thing but but it, it it's not the economy right like fundamentally the economy are the you know 150 million plus people who go to work every day and the all the land and all the buildings and all the equipment and all of the, you know, real physical capital, the material, right? The economy are the workers and the material, including the flows of material that come from the forests and the mines and the, you know, the oceans and the, the farms and so on. Like you've got the, the material flows and you've got the labor flows and the material comes together, meets with with the labor flows and you produce stuff, right? That we all get to consume and isn't that wonderful. Um, that's the real economy, right? And if you want to do something different than we're doing now in the economy, you have to change the way those real resources are being used, right? Now, when you're operating under capacity, that is to say you have a lot of idle workers, a lot of idle material, a lot of idle buildings that just aren't being used. Then you've got some space to just like, oh, we could just get those folks and if we can activate them and get them, you know, doing what we want, what we're trying to do, then we can do, do new shit without having to uh, interfere with the existing uh, you know, productive resources, right? Another way to put it is we can get an unemployed person working uh and that that way we don't have to take someone out of the job that they're doing right now right um and that's all well and good you know basic keynesianism and so on um but short of that 
once the economy is going and sort of running on all cylinders, you got all your workers going out every day doing shit. You got all your materials that are being used. You know, all the steel is, is going somewhere. All of the, the food is going somewhere. At that point, if you want to change the economy in some way, right, you got to, there's no, you've got no option, but you've got to change, you got to take from someone, I guess, better way to put it. Right? If all the workers are engaged, or, or basically all the workers are engaged, and you want to do something new, like let's say build a shitload of solar panels, you got to take those workers from somewhere. Right? they got to come from somewhere. And whatever they were producing before has to stop being produced. And whoever was enjoying that production before has to stop enjoying that production before. And the same thing if you want to redirect materials. If you want to say, oh, man, we've been using all these plastics for this or that, but now we really need to get a shitload of plastics ready so that we can build, you know, whatever, you know, green infrastructure or whatever. Those plastics, whatever they were being used for before, that shit's got to stop being made, right? Because there's only so many plastics to go around. There's only, you know, only so much aluminum to go around or whatever. And so that stuff's got to be moved into the new stuff. And so... There's nothing, you know, any sort of financing trick, whether you do with taxes or borrowing or, or money creation, seniorage, there's nothing any of that is ever going to do to disrupt that basic reality that you have real resources and economy, workers, materials, labor flows, material flows. And if you want to change them, you got to do something that moves them around. And that's going to cost someone somewhere, right? Someone's going to have to take the hit. If we if we got to go, if we got to take thirty million of our workers and get them doing, you know, uh, retrofitting homes, building the solar panels, building the nuclear plants, building the seawalls. But if we've got to get thirty million of our workers out there doing that every day, that sh- the, the stuff. That's 30 million less, you know, workers to do whatever they used to be doing, right? Maybe they used to be, pro- they, they used to be producing X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z is not going to be produced anymore, right? There's no way around that. And so that really kind of drives home the inherent trade-off nature of trying to change an economy. Someone's getting traded off somewhere. Someone, someone's ox is getting gored, right? Um, and so that's really important to keep in mind because when you go about trying to change the economy in some way, you meaning that you want to change what's being produced and who gets to receive production, who gets to actually consume what's produced, you should think about how you what mechanisms, what policy mechanisms will allow you to allocate uh, the change in the way that you want to be less abstract about it. If you really want to, you know, take 20 million workers and have them do other shit because we need to get ready for climate change and that sort of thing, uh, maybe you should think about taxing the rich to fund that because then you can kind of allocate the cost of that onto the rich. Not because taxes fund spending or whatever, like you can describe it metaphysically however you want, right? But what, what that tax does is it ensures that the people who really bear the brunt 
of the fact that 20 million workers are, are now being used for other shit, you ensure that the rich bear the brunt for that. You ensure that they're the ones who have to consume less. They're the ones who have less control over investment, right? You, you, you cut their consumption. You cut their investment. And then by cutting that, you make room for you to do what you need to do in, say, a Green New Deal or Medicare for All or whatever, right? And I think that's the way to think about it, right? Just ignore for a second all the money, all, the, all that kind of stuff, and just say, what are we trying to do? right and what kind of economy you're trying to build well here's an idea we want people producing less yachts you know and more uh you know healthcare, <laughs> right we want people producing uh less you know ultra luxury handbags we want to take those workers and instead have them you know retrofitting homes we want to, you know, just go down the line. Whatever is the sort of, I don't know, the ridiculous shit that rich people consume, private jets or whatever. We're, we're, we're trying to take the workers who are doing that stuff and say, stop producing private jets for people. Stop producing, you know, $50,000 handbags for people. Uh, stop producing yachts. Stop, like, all that stuff. All these workers and millions and millions of people we have doing that stuff. Let's Let's stop them. Let's take them away from doing that shit and have them, you know, stop catastrophic climate change. And if you start from that without ever talking about money or taxes or whatever, you start to see very clearly, oh, here would be a way to do that. Uh, the reason they're making all those yachts and handbags and so on, the reason we've got so many of our workers waking up every day to produce that shit is because rich people have a lot of money and they're buying that shit. And so if we just took the money they wouldn't buy that shit anymore and then those workers could be used to produce other stuff right that is sort of the fundamental wisdom <laughs> of tax the rich it's not well because we need to finance this or that no it's it's a way of allocating in a very real sense the real economic cost of what we're trying to do right to allocate who who's actually who's actually eating the fact that we need these millions of workers and we need to find them somewhere who's actually going to whose ox are we going to gore to do that and the answer is or should be as much as possible the affluent right and that's what taxing the rich gets you so you know we can we can fight all day about whether senior rich really funds everything. Are we talking about economic realities? Are we talking about legal realities? Are we talking about, you know, some deep metaphysical reality? We we could do that all day, but as a practical matter, like I, I've said in my pieces, it, it it seems to have very little significance about what we need to do in order to you know, make sure the people who we want to eat the costs of our programs actually do eat the costs of our programs. And the sort of surgical tool for doing that <laughs> is the tax. That's, that, that is the easiest way. You want to make sure the rich eat it, then you tax them. That, that's, you know, not, oh, to reduce their power. Not, no, 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 to, to like reduce their ability to command millions of workers to produce stupid shit for them that's really what we're not not their political power or something like that but no like you, you, you we need to get you to stop buying yachts because we can't have all these workers and all this material going in to build this stupid shit right we need we need that for other stuff that's what the tax is about um 
So yeah, again, hopefully that wasn't too rambling. Uh, I've noticed with these podcasts, uh, it seems much more rambling in my head than than uh, it comes off, I think, uh, when I listen to it after the fact. So ho- hopefully that's the case here as well. Um, you know, thanks for listening to the solo episode. Like I said, we're going to be back full full strength soon. Um, and, uh, you know, keep on keeping on. <laughs>